Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. We're in a Sunday school series of truths that every Christian needs to know. And we've made our way up to lesson number 4 now. And a series of truths that every Christian ought to know. Well, we've covered some things that there's every... Uh, that every Christian needs to know. Now we come to an important subject that the Bible makes a good emphasis on throughout the New Testament, and we find it mentioned in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. Notice, if you don't mind, in 1 Timothy, chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse 15. 1 Timothy, chapter number 3, and verse 15, the Word of God says this, But... If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What we see here is that God is saying that the church of the living God is to be the pillar and ground of the truth, and that we need to know, oughtest know how to behave thyself in the house of God. This phrase has the idea that we know how to behave ourselves, not just as uh, what we're supposed to do in church, meaning that you're not supposed to take the hymn books and color on it or take a pencil and put holes in the back of the pew. But it carries the idea that how to behave ourselves as a Christian, that we need to be taught what the New Testament says about the church so that way we ought to know how to behave ourselves as a Christian because we are a part of the church. So with this, we have to understand what is the church? What is the church? Well, notice if you don't mind, as we go to the gospel record of Matthew, and let's see, introduce this subject of the church and see if we can get a clear definition from the Bible. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 16. the gospel record of Matthew chapter 17. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take several passages of the word of God and see if we could define what the church is. But let me give you the definition first and then we could go through and see that this is definition is correct. So the definition of a New Testament church, and by the way, I want you to have this memorized. It's good to memorize this. So that means you got to pay attention. Look on your Sunday school booklet, something, because this is important. The New Testament church is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. So the New Testament church is a group of baptized believers who voluntarily gather themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. Well, let's break down this definition. Then we'll see that the Bible says the same thing. That first of all, the first part is that it is a group 
of baptized believers. So we understand that the New Testament church is going to be made up of believers. People who accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. That someone who is not saved is not to be a part of the New Testament church. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not allowing them in the door. We, of course, love visitors. But to be a member of this local church, you must be, first of all, a believer. Not only a believer, but there is a word that comes before believer. You remember what I just said the word was? The baptized. They must be baptized believers, meaning that they have, by their own choice, have chosen to follow the Lord and what is called in believers baptism. That baptism doesn't save anybody. It is a picture that Jesus died, was buried, and that he rose again. And that they must have been baptized, as the Bible says, biblical baptism. So they are a group of baptized believers who voluntarily gather themselves. The word voluntarily means they chose to come. Now we understand some kids may be drugged to church, but a church is to be made up of people who have voluntarily. So the people that come here didn't come because there's a law that says you have to go to church. They didn't go to church because someone put a gun to their head. But they made their own willful choice saying, I want to come to church. So it is a group of baptized believers who voluntarily gather themselves together. And that's the essence of the meaning of the church. It is the assembling together. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So a New Testament church is going to assemble themselves together. That's why we understand that a church is not the building with the four walls. It is the group of people who've gathered themselves together. They've assembled together. So the New Testament church is a group of baptized believers who voluntarily gather themselves together. Now this assembly must have a purpose, the, the actual word church. Ecclesia carries the idea of assembled group for a common purpose. So what is the purpose of the church according to the Bible? The Bible talks about that the purpose of the church is the Great Commission. And so the New Testament church is a group of baptized believers who voluntarily get, gather themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. That our church, we have a clear purpose. That is the Great Commission. And we're to accomplish the Great Commission. God wants us to accomplish the Great Commission. What does it mean to accomplish? To get it done. God expects us to get done the Great Commission. That is the purpose of the church. Now I gave you the definition. So basically I cheated and gave it to you, uh, gave it to you first rather than last. But as we go through these passages here, I want to show you that the definition that I gave was true and that it's what the Bible says. As we started off, notice with me in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 16. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 16. And we see something important as Jesus teaches about the church. Notice with me in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 16. Now it starts off that Jesus says, Who do men say that I, that I the Son of Man, am? In verse number 13. It's a good question. All right, disciples, who do people say that I am? And they began to give different answers. Some of them said that thou art John the Baptist. They say it's John the Baptist because of his preaching. You know, John the Baptist did no miracles whatsoever. 
But he was known for his preaching. People would walk 30 miles to go hear him preach. He must have been some type of preacher if people went to walk 30 miles to go to uh, see him. So Jesus was known for his preaching. So some people said, it's John the Baptist. There are some that said, no, no, it's not John the Baptist. It's Elias. We would know him as Elijah because of the miracles that he did. Hey, he's, got, he's Elijah. He does miracles. Others said that Jesus was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That man, listen to him as he's foretelling what's going to happen. Listen to him as he predicts these things. He must be a prophet. Jesus then said, looks at his disciples and said, But whom say ye that I am? All right, it's one thing to hear what everybody else says about Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter raised his hand and said, I know. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. That's it. I am. But notice as Jesus continues with that thought and in verse number 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now as we see Jesus is referring to Peter, we need to make sure that we're clearing up any misconceptions. Anybody knows what the word Peter means? What does Peter's name mean? Anybody know? It means stone. And so some people unfortunately teach that when Jesus is saying, Peter, stone. Notice what he, Jesus said. Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, stone, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, some people, when we cover about this, he looks and, and looks at Peter and says, Peter, upon this rock, and he points at himself, not Peter. You know what the difference is? The word Peter, it means stone, but it carries the idea of small pebble. So you don't want to build a foundation off of a small pebble. He points to himself. Jesus points to himself and said, upon this rock, me, I'm the rock, shall I build my church. All right. Now notice this. Did Jesus said, you will build my church? Did he say, I will build your church? Did he say, you will build your church? No. What he did say is, I, Jesus, will build my church. Pronouns are important. Jesus said, I will build my church. So whose church is it? Jesus's. And whose responsibility is it to build it? Jesus. And so what we see here, the first principle here, is that the New Testament church started with Christ and his disciples. Who started the church? Jesus did. In fact, in Matthew 18, we could see the word church mentioned again, carrying the idea of church discipline, carrying the idea of how do we deal when someone is going contrary to doctrine in Matthew 18. So here it's setting up the rules of running the church already. Why would he set up the rules if he didn't start it? Make sense? 
Now, it was empowered at a special time. Let's see if you guys remember things. When was the church empowered? What special day did the Holy Ghost come back down? Pentecost. And so the church started with Christ and his disciples and was empowered at Pentecost. When was it empowered? At Pentecost, right? That's when it received its power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So the New Testament church, as we understand from the word of God, was started by Christ and his disciples and was empowered at Pentecost. Notice if you don't mind, as we turn and learn something more about the New Testament church, notice with me in the book of Acts. The book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter number 2. By the way, what is happening in Acts chapter 2? I just mentioned the name of it. When was the church empowered? Pentecost. So it's happening in Acts chapter 2? Pentecost. Very good. So it's receiving its power. We see something interesting as the apostle Peter stands up and he preaches. And all these people heard Peter preach. In fact, they heard in his own language. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit. But notice with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and notice with me in verse number 41. Acts 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. But notice this. In verse 41, they that gladly received his word. What happens when people gladly received his word? They got saved. And when they got saved, what happened afterwards? They that gladly received his word were so before they got baptized, they first of all had to be saved. So they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them 3,000 souls. So before they joined the church, what two things needed to be happened? Saved and baptized. So we understand that the New Testament church had a saved membership. By the way, notice in verse 41 again. And they that gladly received his day, uh, word were baptized. And the same day were, what's the next word? Added. Added. Now, for those math whizzes, in order to add to something, you first of all have to have something, right? So if I have one cookie and I add three cookies, how many cookies do I have left? All right. So you understand you have to have something to add to, but you had to have to start and start off with, right? So what did it start off with? It started with the church and they added to the church that day, right? By the way, what day is this? Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost, it was added to them. So here we see, again, the principle that I said, the New Testament church has a saved membership that before they joined the church, they first of all had to be saved and baptized. Saved and baptized. That in order to be a part of the New Testament church, that is the qualification to be saved and baptized. Notice as we turn to the book of Colossians, we see something else about the uh, principle given about the New Testament church. Notice with me in the book of Colossians chapter number one. The book of Colossians chapter number one, we see another principle dealing with the New Testament church. 
Colossians chapter number 1. The book of Colossians chapter number 1. And notice with me in verse number 18. Colossians 1 and verse 18. And he, who is this he do you think? Is the head of the body of the church. Who is this he? Jesus. So he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Who is the first, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. So according to verse 18, who is the head of the church, the head of the body? Jesus is, all right? So if someone came up to me and said, all right, who's the boss around here? To be honest, we'd have to say it was Jesus, right? It's his church. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. So whose church is this? Jesus' church. If it's Jesus' church, doesn't he have the right to tell people what to do with his church? Good. Now, as the pastor, I'm the under-shepherd. He's the boss, not me. We're just supposed to find out what he wants us to do, and we do that. So he is it. Now, this is important because the New Testament church has Christ as its only head. Now, there are some other places that have their headquarters. For example, the Roman Catholics. Anybody know what city their headquarters is at? Rome. So the Catholics have their head at Rome. So the Pope tells the Catholic people what to do. So the head of the Catholic church is the Pope. They tell all the churches what to do. Uh, other places will have their headquarters here on earth somewhere. But our headquarters is in heaven. He's the one that tells us what to do and who teaches and what we should be doing. That Jesus Christ is the only head. In 1 Timothy chapter number 13, where we had turned before, we saw that the New Testament church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. What does this mean? That God had designed the church so whenever someone is looking for truth, they should be able to go to a New Testament church and find truth. Does that make sense? That when someone's struggling, someone's going through a divorce, someone's struggling with depression, someone's looking for answers, someone doesn't know what's going to happen if they die, they need answers. They should be able to know where to get the answers is. They go to church. That's oftentimes why we see people who are at their, at their last leg when they're struggling with something. That's when they finally go to church because that's where you're supposed to find answers. Now, what happens if you have a church that does nothing but plays and concerts and whatnot and they don't preach the Bible? Are people going to get the help they need? Uh, let's say that you're going through marital problems and you and your wife or you and your husband are having issues. And you say, I need help with my marriage. And you go to church and in, instead of hearing the Bible, you hear just a concert of some people waving their hands. Is that going to help you in your marriage? No. You know what they need? They need the preaching of God's word. They need truth. And so the New Testament church is made to be the pillar and ground of the truth. It's made to be a place where people can go and find truth and the answers they need for their lives. Does that make sense? Church sounds pretty important, doesn't it? You know, there's something else that we find in the book of Acts. Notice with me in Acts 13. 
we understand as we're covering the principle, what is a New Testament church? We know that the New Testament church started with Christ and was empowered at Pentecost. We understand that the church is made up of a saved congregation, meaning that people needed to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior before they could be a part of the church. That we know that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the only head. We understand that the New Testament church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the place where people can go and find truth. But notice with me in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, notice with me. Now there was in the church that was in Antioch. So what church are we talking about? The church of Antioch. Now there's one other big church at this time. Do you guys know what other church is going on right now? Where did Jesus die at? Where did he die at? He was born in Bethlehem. Where did he die at? Jerusalem, right? And so there's a big church in Jerusalem. Where does Peter at? Jerusalem. Where's the other disciples at? Jerusalem, all right? So at Jerusalem is another church. But are we talking about the church of Jerusalem in Acts 13? What church are we talking about? Church of Antioch, okay? That's going to be important. Now, there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work unto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. All right, so in Acts chapter 13, we see Saul and Barnabas being sent out to become missionaries. Praise the Lord that a church is sending out missionaries. Now, as they're sent out, they started off by praying, and the Holy Ghost said, send them out. Then they laid hands and sent them out. Did they have to call Jerusalem and ask for permission? No, not at all. You know what they did? They acted as an independent congregation. Now, this is important that each church is independent. That means they're independent in how they run their government, and they're independent on finances, that they don't depend on finances. Because, here's the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Let's say that I lent you $1,000. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Now, if I asked you to do me a favor after that, and you haven't paid me back, wouldn't you feel obligated to, uh, to do something for me? To be nice to me? To at least attempt it, right? <laughs> Even if you didn't want to, you'd feel like you kind of had to, right? Well, that's what the golden rule is. He who has the gold makes the rules. So if someone starts financing the church, they also start making the rules of the church. For example, we do not take any government assistance. You know why? Because if the government starts giving us money, they could also start telling us what we could do, including who we could have preach or what is being taught. Well, that's a big deal. Especially if Jesus wants us to teach something that the government doesn't want us to teach, right? But people will cave in for money. That's why we don't have any other churches supporting us. That we are uh, autonomous in government and self-supporting. Meaning that we get our money by the giving of our folks. They give the folks. So no one else gives us money so they can't tell us what to do. 
Does that make sense? That who is the boss of the church, by the way? Jesus is, right? And so this gives us the freedom to say, all right, this is what God wants us to do. Let's do it. We don't have to get permission from any other church. This is why we're an independent congregation. Does that make sense? All right. We also see something else. Notice with me in Acts chapter 1. Acts speaks quite a bit about the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 1, we also see something else. We see a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, notice what it says. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here we have the promise, what God has sent us, that we're supposed to receive power, and then after we receive the power of the Holy Ghost, we're to go out and to be witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. We call this the Great Commission. Basically, what are they supposed to go do? Tell everyone about the gospel. By the way, that's our job, isn't it? That we understand that the New Testament church is supposed to accomplish the Great Commission. They took it upon themselves to evangelize the world. That was their job. Now you guys remember the definition of the local church I gave before, right? What was it? Good. It is a group of baptized believers gathering, voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. Have we showed that in the Bible? Absolutely. And so we could see that this is what God has given us. It is a group of baptized believers who voluntarily gather themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. This is what God has given us to do. There's one other thing that we have to understand about a New Testament church. It is that the New Testament church is to be pastor-led. Pastor-led. Now, what is a pastor? The under-shepherd. Good. All right. There are four terms, three terms specifically, that are synonymous. What does synonymous mean? You guys know what synonymous means? It means a word that means the same thing. A different word that means the same thing, right? Okay. For example, waltzing and dancing, are they about the same thing? Yes. So you, those are synonymous terms, you could replace them. Well, there are three terms that refer to the same office. You guys know what they are? We got pastor or shepherd. They are bishop and elder. Those are all dealing with the same office. A shepherd is to feed the flock, to care for the flock, to, to uh, watch the sheep, right? We can understand that. It's the idea of a pastor. The word bishop means overseer, meaning that he's the one who covers and makes sure that things are running. For example, someone needs to make sure the light bills are paid, right? Someone's got to be in charge. Someone's got to make sure that the basement is clear of flood water, right? Uh, someone needs to make sure things are done. That's the idea of a bishop. And then the word elder carries the idea of someone who's spiritually mature to bring others along. 
And so these are all three terms for the same office. And we understand that a church is to be pastor-led. Pastor-led. There are three types of church government. There is a congregational rule, a pastor rule, and then pastor-led. A congregational rule has the idea that the, the congregation is the one that's the boss. So they, they vote on toilet paper. Who's going to be teachers and that type of stuff? That's not how God designed it. The, the, there's also the pastor rule that said, bless God, you can't buy a car unless you tell me what color, you, uh, come to me and ask what color it should be. Well, that's not how a pastor should be. The idea is that there's pastor led and that the pastor is supposed to teach people to follow after God and we move together following after God. He's just leading the flock rather than driving the flock. Does that make sense? And so these are some things that the Bible talks about the New Testament church. That the New Testament church is a group of baptized believers voluntarily gathering themselves together for the purpose of accomplishing the Great Commission. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.